Oh, it is great to uh, be in worship together. And I want to welcome all of you at all of our campuses who are joining us today in worship and those of you who are watching online. Years ago, when I worked with the Billy Graham team, one of the things I did was direct telephone counseling centers. Uh, we had about a dozen of those uh, around the nation, and whenever there would be a national telecast, if you've ever watched one of those, you know there's a number on the screen that says, call for spiritual help. And so we would have people at these dozen centers counseling folks who called in, and there would be hundreds of calls at every center every single evening. Well, uh, that was one of the joyful things for me to be able to lead people to Christ over the phone and to be able to train people to do that. And, and most of the people who called, called for matters related to salvation or rededication to Christ. But we also had a category as we filled out careful data on each person. We also had a category called other. And uh, the number one reason people called on that other category was depression. Depression, dealing with some kind of depression in their life. In fact, as I went in and trained people, uh, first in Dallas and later in Boston as I directed those centers, we came to call depression the common cold of the emotions or sometimes the common cold of emotional problems. And I'm convinced that just about every person, believer or unbeliever, when it comes to this, I'm not sure it really matters. I believe just about every person is going to deal with depression at one time or another in his or her life. And, you know, sometimes the, the church seems to not be all that great a help to some people. You probably heard about that church in Oklahoma that had a big billboard on the interstate. And the billboard had a message, and the message read, don't let worry kill you, let the church help, right? Well, you can take that a number of ways, right? Or you know how churches have these signs that kind of talk about the sermon title that's coming up, and uh, this one church had the, on their sign, they were advertising their sermon title, and the sign simply said, discouragement, 10 a.m. Sunday. Well... I hope this message won't be counterproductive for you. But I want us to talk for a few minutes today about this reality called depression. And uh, I most of all not want, want to not just describe it, but I want to spend the best part of our time talking about how we can have a strategy for victory uh, over it. Now, there's a great verse in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. I want you to look at it with me. It says this, Jesus talking here said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a great invitation that is. I'm convinced that God's ideal for us is not that we would be dejected and depressed and discouraged, but that we would have joy and peace. So let's talk about that a little bit today. First, I want you to consider with me four different kinds 
or four different stages of depression. The first stage is what you might call dejection. Now, dejection is just when you're down a little bit. You might call it the blues or the blahs, or you might say, I'm feeling a little blue today or a little down today. I'm down in the dumps. This usually doesn't last very long. Usually you're through it in a day or two, but it's easy to feel dejected. In the Old Testament, it talks about King Ahab, who could not buy his next-door neighbor's vineyard like he wanted to. And the Bible says that he went home dejected and sullen, and he wouldn't even eat because he felt so dejected about this situation. I think most of us have been there. It may be a certain time of the month. It may be just a bad uh, thing you're going through at work, and you feel a little bit down about it. But a second stage is what you might call discouragement. Now, this is deeper and a bit more prolonged. Discouragement. It's a temporary feeling of hopelessness that kind of sweeps over you. In the book of Psalms, chapter 42, David the psalmist talks about this. He says, I, I used to have joy as I went to the house of God, and I would sing among the festive throng, but now things have changed. And then he says in chapter 42, verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, it's interesting to me that in Scripture, people are described as discouraged or down like this or disturbed in their soul. Here's the situation when their assignment seems greater than their resources. And you know what? I'll bet some of you may be dealing with that right now. Perhaps you've got an assignment and you feel, I'm not up to this. Maybe you're in a job. Maybe you've just taken on a new opportunity. Perhaps you're involved in ministry. Some of you are small group leaders, and you take seriously your role in trying to disciple and pastor and mentor and giving spiritual guidance to the people in your group. And sometimes you may just sit back a bit discouraged and go, I'm not sure I'm up to this. Discouragement is a tough season of life to go through. The Israelites felt this as God wanted them to go into the promised land. He said, I want you to go into this land flowing with milk and honey, a land I've set aside for you. But there were giants in the land as they spied it out. They came back very discouraged saying, these cities are well fortified. There's no way we can go in. And God kept saying to them, look, don't be fearful. Be strong. Stand firm. Don't be daunted by this. I'm with you every step of the way. And sometimes... We just need to really hear that message from God when we're going through a season of discouragement. But there's a third level that is definitely deeper and more severe, and that's what you might call despondency. Despondency. This could be described as intense melancholy feelings. It may last for weeks. It might even last for months. And if you're in this kind of a stage of depression, uh, your sleeping patterns may change dramatically. 
It's different with everybody, but some say, when I'm depressed like this, I just have trouble sleeping. I just stay awake all night. Others want to sleep all the time, it seems. Your eating habits may change. Some may be prone to gluttony, others to anorexia or bulimia. You're going through an intense struggle. The psalmist seems to be talking about this kind of thing in Psalm chapter 6. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been despondent and crying out and saying, God, I desperately need your help? U.S. News and World Report recently said that 17.6 million Americans are experiencing this level of depression. And ladies, I got to tell you, women are over twice as prone as men to this kind of despondency. The article says that 25% of women are going to have this at least one time, one season of their life, and about 12% of men. Let me read you a list of people who frequently went to this level. They're all deceased at this point, but these are people over the last several decades who dealt with this kind of despondency. Winston Churchill, Richard Nixon, Truman Capote, John Denver, Judy Garland, Ernest Hemingway, Danny Kaye, John Lennon, Spencer Tracy, Natalie Wood, Robert Young, and very recently, Philip Seymour Hoffman. But there's a fourth stage that is even deeper and more serious, and that's what we might call utter despair. Now, one of my main mentors in seminary who opened a lot of doors for me and taught me a lot was Dr. Lewis Drummond. And for a number of years, he was the president of Spurgeon's College in London. Charles Spurgeon was considered the greatest preacher in all of London in the 1800s. He was sometimes called the prince of preachers. And my mentor wrote the definitive biography on Spurgeon because he had so much access to all of his personal memorabilia and so on. It's a massive tome called Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers. But if you can believe it, this great leader, this great preacher, pastor of the largest church in London, and he frequently lived right here with a sense of utter despair. In fact, get this phrase that Spurgeon used to describe his own mood. He said, there are castles above the dungeons of the despair. Boy, is that a dark mood or what? Castles above the dungeons of despair. That's how he described his inner world. Elijah was like this in the Old Testament. You remember that story? where he had this showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Jezebel was angry. She was the queen. She put a contract out 